0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 24, verses 10 to 26. Abraham has an important issue before him at the beginning of chapter 24. He realizes that his son Isaac needs a wife. But he puts his trust in the Lord and in fact sends his servant, he himself does not go, he's too old, but sends his servant uh, to find a wife for Isaac. We take up then in verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women would go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please draw your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, please, Let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man, wondering at her, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists weighing ten shekels of gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feet enough and room to lodge. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. So far, the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Because we have a tendency to fail, to trust that God is in control of our lives, we end up spending many fruitless hours of our life in worry, in fear, in doubt, in anxiety, and even in guilt. We think back of things that have happened in our lives, decisions we have made, and we wonder, if only I had made a different decision. We look forward to decisions we have to make today and tomorrow, and we are filled with anxiety. What is the right course, and what will the consequences of my decision be." The men men and women of faith in our text this morning show us a better way, don't they? We see here men and women who instead of being filled with doubt over a difficult and important decision, instead they put their trust in the Lord and move forward confident That God is guiding them and that God is in control of their lives. It's really too bad that the writer to Hebrews in chapter 11 when he's listing uh, the men and the heroes of faith in the Old Testament doesn't include Rebekah. Granted, he couldn't include everyone. But Rebekah certainly deserves to be numbered up there. Her faith is not any less than Abraham's, is it? Abraham, by faith, was called to leave his family and go to a land that he did not know. And Rebekah receives the same call from God in our text. She, too, decides to leave all that she has to go to a land she does not know, to be married to a man she has not met. And by faith in God and by faith in his call, she not only receives the promise, but becomes a part of its fulfillment. She becomes the mother of Jacob, through whom the 12 tribes of Israel are named, and eventually the mother of the Savior himself. Rebecca shows great faith in our text. The servant of Abraham shows great faith in our text by putting that decision in the Lord's hand and trusting that this this woman who drew water for his camels was the one whom God had appointed. But even more important than the faith of the servant and the, and the faith of Rebekah, the lesson that we receive and which we ask that the Lord would teach us to hold dearly in our hearts this morning is that truth that God is in control even when we can point to human decisions and human events and say, oh, this isn't a miracle, this is simply the the outcome of the decisions these people have made, nevertheless, God is still in control. There's so much more at stake in our text than simply a wife from Isaac. As we mentioned, this is the woman, Isaac is the promise bearer, the one who received that a blessing that God gave to Abraham and the, the wife who who is chosen for him will be a part of that that plan of God's salvation. And never, Nevertheless, no matter how important the decision is, everybody involved, Abraham, the servant, Rebekah, Bethuel, Laban, all put their trust in the Lord. The decisions of our lives are seldom as important to God's plan of salvation as that what we see in our text this morning. Nevertheless, the same faith, the same trust that uh, this servant and Rebecca showed in the Lord, we also can have. We can have the same confidence that the Lord is guiding and are controlling our lives just as he was in the life of Rebecca and Isaac. Through Jesus Christ, we have these promises. The Lord reminded Zechariah, in Zechariah 4.10, who has despised the day of small things. And in 2 Chronicles 16.9, God gives us the promise, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Just as God's power was present in the life of Isaac and Rebekah, so his power is present in our lives as well. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus reminds us, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is very evident that the end of the world has not yet come, and therefore it is just as evident that this promise of Christ still stands, and is still with us to this day, that he is present with us. By virtue of our baptism, by virtue of his cross, by virtue of his death and his blood, we have assurance that this promise is with us that he is in control of our lives. We don't have to doubt. We can go forward with confidence in his power. Why is it then that we so often find ourselves doubting? that God is in control. One of the reasons is because it is so obvious and so evident to, evident to us often of the, the human elements, the human actions and decisions which seem to be the cause and effect of all that happens in this world. Those of you who, are, who have read the, the book The Hobbit, it doesn't count if you've seen the movie because the movie... The movie included this quote in it, but it it messed it up. It, It doesn't come across the same. But in the book, right at the end, the very last dialogue that Bilbo has with Gandalf, Bilbo makes the comment, then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true after a fashion. And Gandalf replies, of course. And why should they not prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies just because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck just for your sole benefit. Bilbo is looking back on the adventures he's had and he's seeing how his decisions and the decisions of the the others that were with him in that company brought about, or seemed at least, to cause the results. He's doubting the prophecies because he sees the human element in them. Gandalf replies, well, that's foolishness. That just because you can't see the high power at work doesn't mean it isn't there. Of course, the Hobbit's fiction. But God's Word is teaching us a very similar lesson in our text this morning and in many other Bible passages. That just because we see the human element and can't see the power of God is not a good reason to doubt and to disbelieve that God is really in control. That our lives are in his hands. We do have a tendency to think like Bilbo. I was there. I know what really happened. That wasn't God moving people. That was just normal human interaction. But God reassures us that he is in control. A really good example of this is the call process. God's word assures us in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That passage gives us the promise from Jesus that when the voters get together to call a pastor or a teacher or councilmen or school board members, That God is working through them. That that call is not just from the congregation, but is also a divine call issued from God himself. That Jesus is there working with them. But again, we often doubt that, because especially us voters who are in the meeting, we know that we didn't hear a voice from God. We know that we didn't feel moved to vote for this man or that man. We know that often the councilmen who are elected are simply the first ones on the list. Not always, but often you start at the top of the list and go down and the ones on top seem to be elected more often than the ones on the bottom. And because we see these human elements, we think, well, that's not God's work. That's not God in charge. Just because we don't see God at work doesn't mean God isn't at work. Just because we don't feel moved by the Spirit doesn't mean that God's not in control. In our text, Abraham's servant asks for a sign. That's a decision he makes. The sign is fulfilled when Rebekah chooses to offer him water and then offer to water his camels. That's a decision she makes. And then Rebecca agrees to go with him. Again, a decision she makes. And yet, despite all of these human elements involved and human decisions, it is clear that God is in control and that He is bringing the woman He has chosen to be the wife of Isaac. We also have, we also have a tendency to doubt that God's in, in control, not only because we see uh, the human element at work, but also because we see human sin. The voters get together and call a a pastor or teacher, and then that pastor or teacher is not perfect. They mess up. They make mistakes. They sin. We sin. They're not what we expect. We're not what they expect. Things sometimes don't work out, and that causes us to doubt. Did God really call this individual? How can we believe that God called a a sinful individual to be our pastor or to be our teacher? We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about baptism. The sinfulness of man does not diminish, reduce, or discredit the power and the promises of God. God chose Saul to be king and anointed him. Later on, Saul proved to be an evil and a wicked king who did not obey or listen to God's voice. It doesn't change the fact that God called him to be king. That he was God's choice. It doesn't change the fact that God was in control. We might wonder, did God make a mistake in choosing Saul? We know that God is in control. Jesus called Judas to be one of his disciples. The same one who would later betray him. God didn't call Judas to be the betrayer. He called him with the same call he called the other disciples to preach the word, to minister to his flock. The fact that Judas chose sin does not discredit or disprove God's power. Even Joseph, when he was sold into slavery, does not doubt that God is the one in control. In Genesis 50:20, he says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Joseph knew full well that it was the sin of his brothers, from an earthly perspective, that caused him to be sold in slavery. But he never doubted that despite that sin, God was still in control in his life and that this was God's will for him. Jesus reassures us in John 14:1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. When we look at the world around us, the human element and the sin that we see so prevalent often causes us to doubt God's control. But God's word and God's promises are clear. That even if we can't see it, God is, it is in control. Romans 8, 28 reassures us and reminds us that he is working all things in our lives together for the good of those who love him. Another reason that we often doubt God's control might be because we have have a tendency to think black or white, one way or the other. We have a tendency to think that, well, either God is in control and everything that happens is something he ordained, And that, so all things are fatalistically, that's what's going to happen and there's nothing we can do to change it. Or we have a tendency to think that, well, man has free will and therefore all of history is simply the sum total of million of individuals and their personal choices. Black or white. God's word reveals that the truth is more subtle than either of those two things. That God does give us free will, He lets us make our own decisions. Sometimes we decide to sin, and that's not what God wants. But through it all, he still maintains control. My grandpa, Roland Gurgle, some of you know him, he loved to tell the story of the time he went on a canoe trip with a Native American guide. I believe that uh, ancient canoes were a lot less stable than their their modern counterparts. And so in order to ride in a canoe, in order to be in charge of a canoe, you had to be skilled in balancing it. And my grandpa Gurgle would tell how the one time he rode in the canoe with that Native American, and every movement that anyone made, any of his passengers made, the Native American would counter it. His passengers moved this way, he would move the other way to keep that perfect balance in the canoe. This might not be a perfect analogy to God's control in our lives, but it's a lot closer than what we usually think of. We make decisions, sometimes decisions we should not make, sometimes sinful decisions. God's promise still stands. And he will work all things for the good of those who love him. This is the confidence that we have through Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the promise that we have through our baptisms and because we have been adopted as sons of God. That even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, God is always in control. We should learn the lesson and take the example of Abraham's servant and when we're faced with decisions, go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to guide us. But whether we remember to pray or not, We can live our lives with that confidence that comes from God's promises. Isaiah 46.4 Even to your old age I am he, and even to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. Amen. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.